Action Park Media. Welcome to the last episode of the year, or maybe second to last. I'm actually currently on the hunt, and let me know if you can find anyone who, uh, yeah, a professional who would be happy to talk about some tools that we can use if we've experienced miscarriage or friends or family have experienced miscarriage. Um, I know with patient confidentiality, um, yeah, sometimes that might be a bit tricky for professionals, but I'm also happy to do it more as just a generic Q&A. So that's kind of my announcements at the top of the episode. Today's episode, you guys are in for such a treat. I was fortunate enough to spend some time in talking to Busy Gold. She is the creator of Break Method. We break down the different types of brain patterns and thought patterns that you might have, which essentially color everything that you do in life, including your trauma and your response to it. So it's a really rich episode and information and tools. I got so much out of it. I'm going to be signing up to Break Method because I felt like I had a lot of aha moments in this episode and I hope you will too. This is Pretty Depressed with Busy Gold. So I'm with the amazing Busy Gold. Now you are the creator of Break Method Rapid Rewiring. And as someone who has, not to trauma dump on you, but recently gone through a miscarriage and has depression and anxiety, I feel like everything that I felt like I learned in the last couple of years, I thought I had rewired and we're back at the beginning, I feel. Um, which I don't mean to sound jovial about, but I guess I tend to cover with humor often. But I was just wondering if you could break down what rapid rewiring is. And I guess as a tag onto that is, yeah, do we always, are we always just going to revert back to things that perhaps we haven't dealt with in patterns? Please. (laughs) Let me get some free advice from you. (laughs) Let's do it. I mean, isn't that why you started the show? Yeah, totally. (laughs) Pretty much. Yes. So perhaps it's best to start here. Yeah. Whatever happens to you in your early childhood years with the most repetition sets the stage for your brain pattern, right? So we basically have to start there because that will then put in a lens of glass by which you are perceiving the world around you and all of the traumas that you experience in your teens, 20s, 30s, and so on. You'll now always perceive those traumas through the lens of your existing brain pattern. And that part is, I think, very important. A lot of times people want to focus on all the bad things that happened to them, but if they don't understand what the fundamental brain pattern is that was formed between two and five, we're often looking at the trauma from the wrong perspective. We're looking at the trauma from the perspective of our story and how we feel about it, which is, in my opinion, a red herring. So I don't know if you ever read Nancy Drew books or the the Hardy Boys books. I was really into them when I was little, and my dad definitely raised me on spy movies. So Mm -hmm. as a young child, I was always looking for where something was trying to distract you away from the truth. Mm -hmm. And what I found in my practice is that if you don't no matter what, no matter how much somebody wants to say like, oh, well, I'm already healed. I've already done all this work. If you don't go back and you understand that fundamental constitutional pattern from the early childhood years, where there's always going to be a disconnect. There's always going to be something that prevents them from rewiring in a way that's sustainable. Maybe they'll have a few successes and they smooth it out for six to nine months and they're like, oh, things are great. I did this work with this trauma-informed coach and I'm feeling great. And mm-hmm. then boom, they fall flat on their face again. And they're wondering why, why it hasn't actually resolved, right? Why, why is it that my brain can default back to that place so quickly? So with break method, 
we work from that foundational level of the brain pattern, because if we don't resolve the brain pattern, it doesn't matter how many traumas you layer on top of that. The brain will always try to go back to the default setting. So example would be on your cell phone, right? If, and I'm sure this has happened to some people, you eventually hit that place where maybe you do the, you keep avoiding doing the software update and then eventually it forces you to do the software update and then nothing works. And eventually you've got to go to the store and they're like, I'm sorry, ma'am, you have to do the factory reset, right? You hold the buttons in a certain sequence and it kind of wipes your phone. You start from scratch. Yeah. That default setting for our brain is that brain pattern, which from break method perspective has eight different pieces to it. And they all work together in an interconnected sequence, much like if you were to imagine dominoes falling, one domino hits the next and the next and the next. So to pull back for a second, most people don't realize that something is wrong until they're experiencing some sort of pain, right? They have to be broken up with, lose a job, get in a fight. They don't understand fundamentally what's taking them into their pattern until they're actually faced with something that's adverse. When we actually do the work to understand the brain pattern, we're actually helping the client get so much further early, so much earlier in the actual decision-making process that we're actually starting to help them see flaws in each of those dominoes that happen long before they're getting slapped in the face. So in some cases, not all, some of the traumas we experience are in part due to decision-making that we made earlier. So an example certainly wouldn't be the miscarriage, but an example could be getting into an abusive relationship. Sure, you don't have a crystal ball and you can't you know, know that somebody's going to do that. But if we're honest with ourselves, many people that have a certain dating type, mm-hmm. that doesn't really change, right? Like maybe there's varying levels to which that person is mentally ill, but... Mm-hmm virtually you date the same type of person over and over again. And they just, they mask it differently or you overlook things until you can't overlook them anymore. Right. When told it's actually become abusive. So if we look at it from that brain pattern perspective, although of course you didn't ask to be abused, there's a part of your brain that's attracted to a person like that because they essentially fill all the needs of these dominoes that need to fall. So we work with clients, helping them understand how their constitutional brain pattern is observing and experiencing and defining their traumas so that they can rewire the entire system. Because focusing on, we call them end traumas, just focusing on specific end traumas. Of course, people deserve to heal and things like EMDR can be great for actually getting at those specific memories or very visually visually activated memories. Those are important too, but if you don't uproot the whole system from the bottom, it's going to kick back up, right? The brain wants to keep going back to that default setting. So what I've seen is that no matter how much healing people think they've done, a perfect storm event can happen to any of us and frankly does, usually when we're least expecting it. And that's when all of a sudden our brain takes us back and we're acting like an eight-year-old. And unfortunately, when you're eight, can can you see how distorted your perspective is. No, you're eight. You don't know anything better. You don't know how to, you're not yet experienced in the world. You don't know how to compare and contrast. So when we go back to that trauma state, we're basically an eight-year-old making really terrible decisions. And we're, we're labeling things in very pendulum swing sort of terms, like a very you know, this is going to be the worst thing that's ever happened to me, or we're overlooking something that's really serious and minimizing it. But very rarely are we objectively looking at a situation from the lens of what's best for us. 
moving forward, right? Because an eight-year-old is not future focused. They're just wanting to do whatever they feel in that moment. And in many cases, that is what perpetuates the trauma. So I think for us, the big picture is as much as people want to focus on some of these traumas and they should, we go backwards to move forwards. And if you just try to focus on the things that are in the present, you know, kind of more present day life, you're never going to actually get that person to a true healed state. They're always going to try to go back. I'm um, just a question on brain patterns in case it's um, a, a newer concept for some of our listeners. Is it like star signs or personality types? Are there 10 different or eight different types of brain patterns? And I imagine with you diagnosing and working with people, do they fall into certain categories? Um, yes, absolutely. So I there's there's five distinct brain pattern types. And then there's obviously variation from those five. We first look at the pattern from something we call the source belief spectrum. So I'm happy to give your viewers, I have a, a good free teaching on the source belief spectrum so that people can understand what it is and take a look at the spectrum itself. Yeah. Essentially, you can take all of humanity and you can break them up into the source belief spectrum. And if you divide the spectrum in half, you essentially have abandonment-oriented patterns and then rejection-oriented rejection-oriented patterns. There are, as I said, different subtypes from those, but that is essentially how it breaks up in a 50-50. Abandonment-oriented patterns tend to lack trust in others, and they, by default, choose themselves. So they tend to be hyper-independent, self-reliant. It's more challenging to let somebody in. And your situational awareness, because of that, tends to go up. So you're very aware situationally. You're kind of always reverse engineering how to get what you want in the future, but you're not necessarily very good at interpersonal relationships. For that reason, also that abandonment-oriented type tends toward workaholism and work is their safe place because they can they know that they can trust themselves to input effort and output reward with some sort of repetition. Is my smirk giving you any indication? I mean, <laughs> I had a feeling that might be you. It's me as well. Yeah, yeah. Uh, in general, actually, most entrepreneurial minded people are abandonment origin. Mm -hmm. Very few true entrepreneurs have the rejection oriented pattern and you'll know why in just a few minutes. Okay. So the rejection oriented patterns, and I'll go into this in a little bit too, because what's interesting is in many cases, the better your childhood was, the more likely you are to have a rejection oriented pattern. <laughs> so ironically, you know, often in my practice, people will get through and they'll be like, damn it. Why didn't, why weren't my parents just like a little bit more rough around the edges? Like, yeah. <laughs> why did they have to make it so easy for me? Because the more consistent the family home is, the, the longer the parents stay married, the more the parents try to meet every single need of the child and not help them really measure effort in, effort out. And they're just kind of praising no matter what. They essentially raise a child to become an adult who actually looks to others to solve problems for them, right? So more of like a learned helplessness sort of presentation because if mommy's helping you with everything, eventually you don't build self-efficacy. By contrast, an abandoned origin person, they might really just push away any sort of help in a way that's also detrimental to their life, right? They're, they're unwilling to accept help or they're afraid to accept help because they feel like somehow that's going to be weaponized against them, or which is really common, right? Or burdensome. So by contrast, the, these rejections, and they have four different subtypes in the rejection category, 
they either trust themselves but reflexively believe that everyone else will blame or shame them for something. So they believe that somehow if they put themselves out there, they're always going to get a negative response. So this type of person actually they create a lot of conflict in their interpersonal relationships because they both want to be close to somebody and they want that person to like them, but they also deep down believe that that person is incapable of seeing who they really are. So they're perpetually the victim, right? It really doesn't matter how you actually feel about that person. They will always project their deepest fears onto you. Then there's the self-trust negative, which that's more the learned helplessness type where their parents did everything for them. So they look to others to solve their problems and they very much seek validation and approval. They very much want to put others on a pedestal. They're the most likely to really fan girl or fan boy somebody. And in fact, even spend a lot of time up in their head wanting somebody else's life, almost like coveting what somebody else has because they don't believe that they can have it. So in both of these cases, the the rejection oriented patterns are very fixated on interpersonal communication and they can't get out of a perspective of constantly thinking about what other people are thinking about them so you can imagine does that increase situational awareness no it drastically decreases yeah. it yeah because if you're so focused on what others think about you you're you're missing everything that's happening in your environment so yeah. my husband is a rejection and he was like oh my god babe this is why I'm terrible at driving directions because he's thinking about what other people are thinking about him in the car. And then all of a sudden he's making these terrible decisions because the situational awareness just goes out the window. So obviously situational awareness from like a military tactical perspective can be trained, but genuinely some people have it or they don't. And I say this somewhat in jest, but I really believe it's true. Situational awareness basically is a trauma response. You either, as a child, believe you have to know everything in your environment and how everyone's feeling and the subtleties of what their eyebrows mean about your future, or you don't. So you're hyper-focused on what others think and feel about you, and you're able to move through your life that way. So you can see where one person's environment had to be stable and loving enough to really fixate on getting love. And then the other person's environment had to be unstable enough that that's not even on the table. So for that reason, abandonment origin patterns, of course, they can be in loving, committed relationships. But what we find is that they often have a different type of exchange that they mask for love and actually being completely vulnerable and really putting it all out there and truly letting yourself trust somebody else is very challenging. So an abandonment origin person, as an example, might really put a lot of stock in their sexual identity, right? They they know that through sex, they can kind of control, manipulate the relationship. They can keep things feeling attached, right? But is that real attachment? No, it's kind of a manipulated attachment. And those types of people might actually assess how healthy the relationship is based on how often they're having sex. And if all of a sudden that starts to dip, what are they going to do? they might actually kick into more of an anxious attachment style where typically they might present really like tough and empowered. And all of a sudden, as soon as sex drops down, they're acting like a crazy person. So that's just one example of how in their mind, they might be like, I love this person so much, but the reality is that there's a completely different chemical in the mix here. That's much more pleasure seeking and control oriented rather than love, which love should be peaceful and at rest. And as you can imagine, ab abandonment origin patterns, they're not often very peaceful or at rest, right? Everything. I, I wouldn't identify myself, <laughs> even my personality, as it peaceful or at rest. <laughs> no, definitely yeah. not. Well, because yeah. you, you're always prepared, always. 
Yeah, I almost think I like what you said about in a room. It's funny. I almost feel, and it's not my responsibility, but for some curious reason, based on my childhood, even in a room, it's as if I have a temperature gauge above each person and I feel like it's my responsibility to keep everyone at their current temperature. And if someone feels like they're getting heated or hot or anxious or frustrated, I feel like it's up to me to, which it's not, but I do. So you have the same brain pattern type that I do. So in the abandoned brain pattern types, there's an abandoned control pattern and then there's abandoned, hold it all together. You're abandoned, hold it all together, which is the same as I am, which you're very, it's very easy for you to self-sacrifice for the needs of the group. So you're always kind of temperature gauging where people are at and what you need to kind of change in yourself or meet of their needs to keep things stable. So while you yourself are not at peace, your brain is very oriented toward trying to keep the peace situationally. Yes. Yeah. By contrast, an abandoned control pattern is very much pushing their agenda and what they want or what they think is fair or just is going to take precedence over the good of the group. So there's, if we look at the spectrum, right, like divided in half, all the abandoned patterns, if you go all the way to the far side of the spectrum, you've got overt control, which are the people that are controlling with their voice, with their actions, they're directly micromanaging, they can't yield their voice at all. They struggle with a filter, they struggle with tact and so on. And then if you move over one section, you have the covert control types. So covert control types can kind of look like abandoned hold it all together, but ultimately they're still pushing their agenda. They still believe there's a right and wrong. They tend much more toward black and white thinking, whereas an abandoned hold it all together ultimately can't do that. They, they always have to look for gray area to justify their actions. So an abandoned control is still very much oriented around fairness, whereas if an abandoned hold it all together tried to care about fairness, they'd always be pissed off because they're they're always essentially willing to have things not be fair for them as long as the group can stay peaceful or together, right? They're all about stability. So really fairness is not, I've never, I've never cared about that. I've always taken the position. Yeah. Like tough shit. It's not fair. Deal Mm -hmm. with it. Um, It's never going to be fair, but the abandoned control types in the spectrum before our pattern type, they won't be able to get out of that thinking no matter what they'll always want to go back to you, but it's not fair. It's not fair. It's not right to us. There's no, there's no right. And that, as you can see, can lead to some pretty leaky boundaries, right? Do you struggle with boundaries? If any, yeah. (laughs) You're like, what, what's a boundary? Right. So if you have, if you're able to justify everything and everything's gray area, depending on the scenario, you basically can't have boundaries because boundaries are a byproduct of what you think is right or wrong or where you feel like you have a personal edge. A hold it all together by nature can't have edges. You have to be this like amorphous fluid to meet everybody else's needs. So you cannot, your brain believes it's not safe to have a boundary. Mm. I I am curious and um, you can speak to this as much or as little as you want. Mm. we've gone in a completely beautiful direction that I want to stay on this train. Is it um, commonplace for people of our brain pattern type to experience burnout is, do they come hand in hand? Cause yes, I feel like as I was researching so the story, I wondered if like, yeah, you get to that place of either snap. Well, if you don't, if you don't have boundaries, you naturally overload your plate. So the abandoned hold it all together type will, be the most likely to continue to say yes, even if they know internally it's a no, they're not good at saying no. 
and they'll just find clever ways to try to deal with it. So one good checkpoint, and it's obviously a joke that I use to see if someone's abandoned, hold it all together and we'll, we'll test it on you. Yeah, okay. Sure. So you look at your calendar and you realize that you're triple booked. Yeah. What do you, what do you do? Uh, well, first of all, probably panic and feel guilty and stressed, mm-hmm. but then try to figure it out, um, see how I can make it work or, yeah, fall on my sword if I can't and give options or wake up in the middle of the night if it was a time difference to try and accommodate how I've bitterly disappointed this person because I'm totally the shit ever. That's, yeah. <laughs> so here's the key, though. Yeah. An abandoned control, first of all, if we were asking someone that's abandoned control, they would look at you deadpan and be like, this would never happen. I'm like, you're right. It would never happen to you, but it would happen to us, right? Because we yeah. say yes to everybody. And yeah. out of all the brain pattern types, abandon, hold it all together is have a really interesting relationship to time. Where, you know, I hate this term, but I think a lot of the Gen Z, <laughs> the Gen Zers use it. We're like, I struggle with time blindness. Like, okay. okay. So, <laughs> so do we. Where somehow the experience of time is dynamically shifting for us, depending on who we're with or whoever's needs we're trying to meet. So an example of this could be, I'm notorious for trying to, I'll tell myself that this task that probably in reality will take 45 minutes. I'll be like, I can get that done in 10 minutes. Mm -hmm. Right. So I'll say yes to it all in my mind. I'll build it into the schedule. Like I can get all, I can get all that done in in two hours because in a band, hold it all together. Kind of almost has this showing you, this is my, what I and to achieve today. And I'm like, it's yes, that is a hold it all together list. Not at all. It's entirely not achievable, but I'm like, well, there's no other, it has to happen. So there's yep. no other way, right? Everything is urgent. And this is the problem, right? There's nothing, your brain won't let you move anything down on the priority list. So in this example of, you know, you look at your calendar and you're triple booked, typically a hold it all together, they're not going to sit there and methodically get their way out of it. They're going to panic. Like, can I somehow do all three at the same time? Can I do this one? And then maybe jump onto this one. Maybe I can tell them that I'm running 10 minutes late, right? You're already coming up with some way that you're going to try to deal with all of them. And if you can't figure it out, a lot of times you'll go distract yourself and you'll go avoid it until it literally is going to slap you in the face. And you're like, well, shit, mm-hmm. it's now 10 o'clock. It's time for me to have all three of these appointments. And I didn't actually solve the problem. So a hold it all together is going to have a really hard time cleaning up these more administrative issues because you can't actually make a real priority list. Everything feels important because nothing's black and white. Well, you seem to, you can be my North Star first. <laughs> I mean, I've, I've overcome this, thank God, but there's still yeah. a variety of ways that this will come back and and bite me. So with break method, we first need to understand that constitutional brain pattern, right? So one of the patterns that we talked about, that's, so for us, it would be abandon, hold it all together. That would be the source belief pattern. So origin and adaptive. So our origin would be, I'll always be abandoned. And then the adaptive would be, I have to hold it all together for everybody. Yeah. Then you move on to the other pattern types. So then you have your timeline numbers. So the timeline numbers are going to correspond to certain categories of behavior and how you do them kind of in that domino effect. Mm -hmm. Then we have our emotional addiction cycle. 
So an example of this would be an abandoned hold it all together. The emotional addiction cycle has a three-part process. You've got an origin, a protective, and an escalating. So origin is just going to be that initial, uh-oh, when you're caught off guard or you think something's going to go wrong or you anticipate that for everybody is going to be fear. But in certain cases, it'll be fear with a specific shame stimulus tied to it in their mind. So it's either going to be fear or fear of shame, and that's going to be for everybody. Then the protective emotion can be either anxiety or anger. Um, some people have a fork to apathy, but we'll, that's, we'll save that for a later episode. That's a more complex pattern. But most people will then go to anger or anxiety. That anger could be covert or overt. So the covert type would be more the um, manipulative maybe managing distance from that person, kind of being more of a push-pull where they're angry, but they're angry on the inside and they feel justified leaving the person or kind of playing around with their emotions versus the over-anger would be much more in your face, directing with your voice, telling you everything you're doing wrong, having trouble holding back or having any tact or filter. So for what it's worth, abandon hold it all together are one of the only pattern types that can't have anger as a protective emotion. They have to have anxiety. It's, I'm an actress and it is the hardest emotion for me to do. Like if there's a scene with anger, like it just is not. And it's not that I don't feel angry, but I, it isn't an outward facing emotion for me. And mm-hmm. I really struggle even to act it. And I'm a great actress, but that's it's so, I don't believe it when it's coming out of my face. And I anger scares me as well. If someone raises their voice or someone yells, like it, it's a trigger of very uncomfortable for me. Well, because everything that you do fundamentally is to avoid, to avoid setting it. that off, right? And so yeah. why would you be it yourself? Yeah. So hold it all together is always have anxiety in that protective position. Mm-hmm. So frequently the hold it all together will then go to anger, but they could also go to frustration. So the escalating emotion is where we have some different variances. You can have anger, you can have anxiety, you can have shame, apathy, and so on. There's a bunch there. And then there are certain types that it's a very common pattern, actually, that if you go fear to anger, then you can have an anxiety apathy where depending on the situation, if you feel like you've tried everything, your brain just wants you to give up, then you may go to apathy where other times you might overanalyze and try to be strategic. And then other times you might just completely shut down. So this can be the case for hold it all together where you eventually burn yourself out so much and you know that your brain's natural way of doing things isn't working, there are certain hold it all together types that can have that fork to apathy at the end because checking out or like genuinely letting that burnout make you completely quit is maybe the only way to get rest. So your body might actually need that to reset because you don't know how to do that with your voice. So another thing that can happen here would be an abandoned hold it all together person that struggles with addiction. It's a very specific addiction type that's very contrasted to the others because they can start and stop their addiction on a dime. So their addiction only pops in when they feel like they don't have to hold it all together for everybody. And then as soon as they feel like they're, they have to be the responsible party and they have to step in, they literally can stop some of the most addictive drugs in the world on a dime and not look backward. So they're the only types that can do that, but they have to be motivated by that sense of responsibility and obligation. Otherwise they can't do it. If it's just them and they're all by themselves, they'll be like, ah, I mean, this is my only time to rest. So sometimes those hold it all together can either go to apathy or can go into some sort of addictive behavior that then again, they can, as soon as they want to pop out of it, they just pop out of it because it's to some degree, it's a choice more so than the other pattern types where the addiction would not be a choice. I, as you're saying that, I'm kind of putting some pieces together. I've experienced um, 
I've been diagnosed with severe depression. I, I feel like I'm a high functioning depressive person. And I, I, but there have been twice in my life that I think I've reached apathy as a result of burnout. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was the scariest moments for me because normally I can shower and start again and pull it together. And I got myself twice in my life now to a place where I was at that apathy. And it was terrifying because it was very unrecognizable version of me of, yeah, when you just don't care, like that's pretty scary. Um, and I, how long, how long did you stay in those States? If you don't mind me asking. Yeah. So the first time it was, it was a good couple of months. And then the second time, probably about a month, um, I was, uh, putting on a mask and being okay until sort of my family stepped in and realized it wasn't right. And I think it was to the point in both times that I, um, trigger warning, but had suicidal thoughts, not, not tendencies, not a plan, but it was the two times in my life where I think I just felt so burdensome and so not carry that I just kind of, yeah, I just allowed my brain to get to a place, which is not me. I'm a very positive, optimistic person, but I think as a combination, as you're going through those thought patterns, I go, okay, yeah. And then got the anxiety. And I think the, the apathy or the depression came in as just like, I feel like I had tried everything and couldn't get there, but a bit of the poor me's as well, but yeah, just couldn't, couldn't get myself out of it. Um, So when your pattern type gets in a place like that, it really does feel like a complete identity crisis because actually it's in complete opposition to everything that you are, everything that you know to be true about yourself. So it can almost feel like, like you're in some sort of alternate reality. So it can actually feel really jolting to your, just your awareness overall. Mm -hmm. Um, I like to think of it in that state, in the very beginning stages of it, you might even feel like you're having a bad trip where you're like, what is this? I don't know how to get out of it, but it almost feels like you're trapped in your own mind. So yeah, my first when thought the- whenever I woke up in this season, sorry to interrupt you, was I just remember vividly waking up and every morning just the thought, I don't want to, just was those words. I didn't even know what it what it was that I didn't want to do, kind of anything or everything. And that was so unrecognizable because I can find joy in so many beautiful things. But yeah, it mm-hmm. was the, it, yeah, I was, I was gone for a while. So an abandon hold it all together more so than the other types. You're you're very much motivated by service and purpose. And you essentially you need to be the glue in certain scenarios. So if you found yourself in a certain season of life where maybe you weren't able to do that as much or there weren't as many people around that were needing that or pulling that out of you, sometimes we can actually we lose our compass heading. Like, who are we? What am I even doing? What's my purpose? And that's one really, I, and I try to differentiate this a lot because I do work a lot with people that struggle with suicidal ideation. I try to break it apart as either existential suicidal ideation, which is really just like, I don't want to exist anymore. You're not really in the act of planning and it doesn't feel soothing to actually think about the act, but it's more just like, what's the point? Which to me is a much more, it's a more spiritual crisis than it is true suicidal ideation. Yeah. Which would be for what it's worth, much more common of an abandon, hold it all together. Like yeah. true suicidal ideation for hold it all together would basically not happen because then you can't hold it all together for everybody. So yeah. I actually had a client who struggled with cutting and she was a hold it all together. And she told me that the only way she could get herself to stop cutting was to imagine that she was doing it to somebody else. And that would be the only way to stop herself from doing it just to kind of show you yeah. how the mental state works for somebody like this. So when we look at that escalating emotion, there 
obviously there's so much to break method that it's hard to kind of break it all down. But one of the things that I think is important for us to understand is that the brain functions on language as its fuel source, right? So when you go try to drive your car, you have to put gasoline in so that it can go. Your brain hooks into language as a fuel source. And oftentimes we don't realize the language that our brain is using because we've either tuned it out or we've checked out, or in many cases, especially in today's society, we start to plaster all of these override messages over it, like affirmations. We're like, I'm just going to dull this message out and like keep putting all these affirmations over it, which ultimately don't make it go away, right? That language is still there. Your, your brain very much believes that language. In, in many ways, your brain strategically generated that language to keep you safe. So it's it's essentially bought into a rule that it's created. With break method, we actually work on dismantling the systems of language, but first we have to understand with very clear detail what the eight-part brain pattern is, how each of those generates specific systems of language so that we can strategically attack each of those systems of language because your brain is not going to let it go unless it feels clear that there is an alternative that actually shows the brain that there's an error. And a lot of times we don't do that. We just tell ourselves like, yeah, 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 I get it, right? Like, yeah, my therapist told me that I get it. I do this and this and this. Just saying, yeah, 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 I get it or kind of high level understanding a concept is not at all the same as strategically dismantling sequences of words that your brain weaponizes against you. And most people don't want to do that work because it's annoying. But that right there is what actually holds the keys to the kingdom for people's emotional freedom. And that's what actually lasts. Yeah. Wow. My gosh, I need to sign up. Um, I realize that my time with you is up, but something I do like to do, and I'm so curious about um, what yours might look like, is I like to ask my guests what their brain looks like. And many people give me curious mm. answers here. Maybe it's a garden. Maybe it's a haunted house. I don't know. What is, if you were to kind of paint a picture of what it looks like up there for you? So I always teach that the brain is essentially a map of different territories. So if everyone were to just kind of envision a map, right? I always, my brain, I always go to like an old school map, you know, yeah, like kind of like sepia burnt tones, to the edges, yeah. burnt at the edges. Exactly. You're with me. So most people, they, number one, they don't really fully understand all of the territories that are in their map. And yeah. because of that, they're easily led astray and they actually give up a lot of their territory, right? Somebody can trick you into something and you step off your land. And the next thing you know, intrusive thoughts are coming in or negative self-talk is coming in. The way I see my brain, especially because I've spent so much time and work doing this, mm. imagine me like straddled out over this whole territory, like not today, <laughs> nobody's getting any of this. Uh, because that's in essence what I teach people to do is really put right. their feet down, claim the territory that is their consciousness and do not give an inch. There's so many things out there in the world, in our culture, um, on the radio, on social media that really they infect your mind and get you to willingly relinquish your territory to dark thoughts and intrusive thoughts and negativity and yeah. cultural priming not on my watch the the brain and the mental like constructs that exist in there it's so fragile i always try to tell people really the line between like clear consciousness and knowing who and what you are and basically being in the mental hospital is much thinner than you think. Mm -hmm. Many people go through and they're like, oh, I can't believe that person. Like so-and-so, they had that psychotic break. I don't think people realize how razor thin that line can be, which yeah. is why this new push toward everyone kind of doing medicine ceremonies and everyone doing mm -hmm. CBD and weed and all this, it's 
it makes that line very blurry and it becomes even easier to accidentally tiptoe off the edge where you've completely lost track of who you are versus um, what's going on and kind of, I don't know your beliefs on this, but what's going on in potentially other realms that don't mm-hmm. have pure interests. I'll leave yeah. it at that, right? It's just so easy to lose yourself. So claiming that territory is the most important thing and to be very aware of how society and culture you know, it can look pretty and it can have a nice package, but ultimately it does not have benevolent intentions. It doesn't want to bring out your best. It wants to trigger you and activate you in such a way that you buy the most products or they can control your decision-making by pushing just the right triggers. Mm -hmm. That shouldn't be, we should be able to overcome that. And I believe that's ultimately what we do in break is Number one, we help restore you back to being able to be truly innocent because we've all lost that, right? That is ultimately what the word world does is it patterns us out of our true childhood innocence and therefore makes it so that we can't actually be curious, right? We're always operating with these within these strict confines of rules and we can't really experience love because we become hardened. We want to help restore people back to that childhood innocence so that they actually can interact with their world in a way that is genuinely brand new rather than everything be patterned. But to do that, we've got to rewire the brain and you've got to actually learn to claim the fullness of your territory rather than just willingly give it up to anyone that wants to try to poke you. I love that. I'm just picturing me on my mat, but I look kind of a little psychotic, like... (laughs) you can't come here um yeah no I've definitely given away a lot of my territory to intruders but that's I can start again that's okay today is a new day um hey thank you so much what an absolute joy and pleasure it has been chatting to you thank you so much for your time I'm really grateful and um yeah if people want to find more about you or about break method where should they go Yeah. So for break method, you can go to breakmethod.com. And then to learn more about just all of my teaching and all the things that I do, you can go to busygold.com and it's B-I-Z-Z-I-E. And then same on Instagram. I'm mostly just active on my personal Instagram, B-I-Z-Z-I-E-G-O-L-D. Awesome. Thank you so much, Busy. Appreciate it. Thank you. 